Well, welcome. It's good to have you here uh, in the South Hills and uh, for all joining us online right now, as well as all our campuses who join us for this service. Welcome, Robinson, Washington, Wilkinsburg, Ross Straver, and DeBerry. We want to remind you, this Wednesday, we've been telling you the past few weeks, this Wednesday is a special prayer night we're going to have August 26th digitally. Join us online. Facebook or through our online campus, we're going to have a time of prayer for students, parents, administrators, all school employees. Uh, and uh, we want to pray for teachers as they prepare to go back to school very different this year. We're going to have a student with us, a parent with us, a teacher with us. And you're going to be able to actually to send in prayer requests. If you've ever joined us for that first uh, Wednesday of the month, we do this. And you can send requests in. Same thing for this Wednesday. So join us six. 30 p.m. So I'm going to ask all our campuses, all of you online and everyone here in the South Hills, let's pray and ask God to lead us in his word. Father, we just uh, thank you for this day that we can come together across all our campuses to worship you. Speaking of back to school, we know that worship right now looks very different. As about half our church family joins us online each weekend while our other half are with us physically uh, in our worship centers, we praise you again, like we say every week, that we're still united by the power of your spirit. And every time we meet, we want to hear from you. So Father, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations of my heart today would be honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I am 100% Italian, 100% Italian. So I had a lot of experience with big family dinners. And there's a couple things guaranteed during those dinners. A lot of pasta, right? A lot of pasta. Uh, stories of my grandparents. They were first-generation immigrants from Italy, so great stories about the home country uh, back home that they would tell. Uh, and at times, heated family arguments. And when I was a young boy, I would hear them talk about the Italian temper. And I, truthfully, I never really experienced that as a very young boy until I turned around seven or eight years old. My dad would always discipline us, but he never showed any signs of a, of a real Italian temper until I got a bad attitude around that age. And I vividly remember uh, right around eight years old, um, I was walking past the couch and, and my dad asked me to get him something in the kitchen. And, and kids, I said something you should never say to a parent when you respond to them. I said, okay, buddy. <laughs> oh, it's good to laugh now. My dad looked at me with a stare I, I had never seen before and he said, I'm not your buddy. And within a second, he was off the couch. Now, my saving grace was I was right by the stairs. So I booked it upstairs. And I, and I realized, forget Italian temper. I was about to experience Italian wrath like never before. I got to my uh, bedroom door, locked it real quick, slid under my bed. I stayed under my bed for five days. That's not true. That's not true. No, about 30 minutes probably. 30 to 45 minutes, and my dad really didn't need to do anything else. I had experienced the discipline I needed at that moment. Now, I actually talked to my dad uh, this past week about that story, and we both agreed was his 
Italian wrath perfect at that moment? No. Was it justified? Absolutely. Because my dad had instilled in his three boys a level of conduct he expected of them. And I knew out of love as I grew up, he did that because he wanted me to grow into a respectful, godly young man. When we think about that word wrath, it's going to drive our conversation this weekend. We're in the series called Know God, Tough Questions, Real Answers. And the tough question we want to address about God this weekend is this. Does God get angry? Scripture says crystal clearly, yes. The Bible uses the words angry and wrath interchangeably, if you see that in your scripture. And when we see uh, this play out throughout scripture, uh, we think of moments such as the nation of Israel in Psalm 78, verses 58 and 59, where God put his anger and wrath towards their sin of idolatry. It says, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel. God's wrath is one of those attributes that we actually can uh, mirror. We can actually reflect it because we show wrath. The, the problem is man's wrath is never holy and rarely justified towards one another. As we'll see, God's wrath is 100% holy and always justified. And in the New Testament, we get a pretty clear definition of what, what is the wrath of God. Paul said in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So when we think about God's wrath, it's the expression of God, his anger, his righteous anger against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and hence sin. Now, if you're new with us here in the, the South Hills, or maybe you're new with us online, or for those joining us on our online campus, and this is your first weekend with the Bible Chapel, I will tell you, many other churches, you will hear only sometimes God's grace and God's love. But we can't skip over God's wrath. Actually, in Scripture, we see God's wrath reference more than his love. A.W. Pink, great theologian, early 20th century, said, if you study the concordance, will show that there are more references in Scripture to the anger, fury, and wrath of God than there are to his love and his tenderness. So today, as we look at the wrath of God, we want to understand this. Why, the why of God's wrath how, how does he carry it out? And then who, upon whom, receives the wrath of God? All right, so that's where we're headed. We're gonna begin with the why. And as we go through this attribute, we're gonna see three other main attributes of God. This is a picture. Remember, we always say God's attributes work perfectly together, perfectly together. Here, here's the first thing. The why is because God is holy. Therefore, God is pure and separate from all evil and sin. The word holy means to be sacred, to be separate or set apart. And God alone, as we see in scripture, is the only one who is 100% pure and separate from all 
evil, and sin. 1 Samuel 2.2 says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And this lies the immediate issue with humanity. God by nature is holy, perfect, and pure. We by nature are sinners. We have a sin nature from birth, meaning we have a natural propensity to sin. That's why we see in scripture, Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, not some, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The first word, when you hear God's wrath, the first word that should come to mind is separation. I'm going to say God's wrath online here, campuses, you respond and say separation, all right? God's wrath, separation. That's the first thing. Why? Because God is holy. He is perfect, which demands he cannot have sinners, the unclean, within his presence. We see this play out in Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, with, with the fall of Adam and Eve, the first thing that God does there, he drives them out of the garden, that perfect place where they were with the presence, the full presence of God. We, we see this play out in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. There was the most holy place, the holy of holies, and, and a veil cut off the people of God from that place that represented that, that, that presence of God. Only the high priest could go in there once a year for the sacrifice of the atonement of the sins. And the process for him to do it was painstaking just to spare his life. A proper understanding of the why of God's wrath, this is what it does for us. It puts us in the right posture of who we are before the almighty perfect God. Isaiah understood this clearly when God gave him this, this vision of heaven in Isaiah chapter 6, and he got to get a picture of that full holiness of God. And listen what Isaiah says, starting in verse 3 of Isaiah 6, he says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And what does Isaiah say when he sees this? He says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Just given that heavenly glimpse of God, Isaiah says, who am I? Who am I? And we think of Peter, right? We think of the one that God used to lead his church. And when Peter was called by Jesus and Peter understood that Jesus was the eternal son of God. How did Peter respond? It says that Peter fell down at Jesus' knees in Luke 5, 8, and he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Who am I to be in the presence of the holy God? So why God's wrath? Because he is holy, and he is separate from all evil and sin. Therefore, as sinners... He must separate himself from us. And that leads to the, the how. How does God then carry out this full wrath upon us who are separate from him? 
and his holiness? Well, that's the next question, the how, and it's the next attribute. God is just. Therefore, he judges every person impartially according to his righteous standard. When we see the word just or justice throughout scripture, it's always a judicial term for God. It it is God administering justice according to his righteousness, his perfect moral standard. That's why Psalm 89, 14 starts out and says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Injustice, which our world, right, craves day in and day out for all the injustices in our world. Well, God doesn't just deliver justice. He is just. It's who he is. And that means every judgment he has upon us is perfect and without partiality. Peter was reminded of that in Acts 10, 34, when he said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, the rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. In a world that that no longer truly seems to know what is truly right and wrong, scripture is clear. That what is right always has and always will conform to the righteousness of God. His perfect moral standards that we find right here in his word. Now when he says no impartiality, that means those who believe that I can be good enough to get to heaven you are basically denying the holiness of God. God does not require goodness to be with him. He requires perfection to be with him. And no sinner can have that on their own. You can't be good enough. And this is where these attributes just work in harmony. The word sin means to miss the mark. That's what we are. We miss the mark of what? The righteousness of God. And we constantly miss the mark. And that righteousness is his holiness. Therefore, God in his justice, he cannot overlook our sin and he must carry out his righteous judgment upon us. And that's how we see him in Romans 2.5. That one day, every person in this room, every person at the campuses, every person joining online and on the face of the earth, you will stand before God and receive your impartial judgment. Paul said, Romans 2, 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The day of wrath refers to that day when Christ returns and every person will stand before the living God for their final judgment where you will spend eternity. And on that day, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, in Christ, you will get your impartial judgment of God. And that is, back to that word separation, eternal separation from the living God. You see, here's the deal. Do you know why most people don't want to talk or address God's wrath? 
because you can't address God's wrath without eventually getting to hell. You have to talk about hell. And interestingly, Jesus Christ, in his ministry on this earth, he spoke more of hell than he did of heaven in his ministry. And of the 11 of the 12 times he used that word hell, he used the Greek word Gehenna. And that word is derived from the Hebrew word meaning the valley of Hinnom. He used that word because his audience would know exactly what he was talking about. There was this valley of Hinnom, which became the valley of Gehenna in the Greek, that ran outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And that valley was the garbage dump. You put your trash, your filth, and there were at times dead bodies, prisoners thrown in there, and it would burn 24-7. The stench of it would fill the air. And Jesus used that word, therefore, to give a visual depiction for his audience of what hell will be like for those who don't trust in him. Like Gehenna, hell is a real place. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him, God, who can destroy, think, think that eternal judgment, both soul and body in hell. It's a literal place. And just like Gehenna burned 24-7, it was constantly burning outside the city, five times Jesus, referring to hell, says it is an un quenchable fire and connecting again to his holiness which means what's the first word we said separation right Jesus well first we see from Paul then we'll see from Jesus that hell is that that full experience of separation forever out of the presence of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Jesus said, and he put it right, right together, he said, just as eternity with God through me is eternal, so is eternal judgment for those who never turn towards me and trust in me. And Matthew 25.46 These unbelievers will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Do we live in a fallen world? Absolutely. In our world today, there is brokenness, there is pain, there is suffering. But God is still in our midst. God is still working, even when we don't see him working, over his creation. Therefore, the brokenness and pain and suffering anyone can experience in this life cannot come close to compare the suffering of hell. Why? Because only hell in scripture is described as the place that is absent of God. That's the full, the full wrath upon those who experience eternity separation from God. So some at this point might be thinking, geez, thanks, Dave, for the doom and gloom sermon. Really appreciate it this weekend. But here's why we, we not only have to talk about God's wrath, here's why I love to talk about God's wrath. 
I believe in life we have this true experience. And to truly uh, have an understanding and to truly appreciate something, you have to have a clear understanding of what life would be without it. Therefore, if we're going to truly understand and appreciate the love that God has for us and his son, we must first clearly understand what would our lives be without it? Where would we go, believers? What would be our destiny without Jesus Christ? And that's the third question, the who. For the unbeliever, God's wrath is upon you. For those who have trusted in Jesus, we get this third point. God is love. Therefore, he placed our deserved punishment for sin on his son, Jesus Christ. God doesn't just display love. He is love. Scripture says that time again. He is love. He's the source of true love. And the greatest expression of his love was sending his son to die on our behalf. I love what John says in, in 1 John uh, chapter 4 at the end of verse 8 and then verses 9 and 10. He says, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. When you think live, think spiritually. We're dead spiritually without the love of Christ. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. I love that word propitiation. It means to appease or satisfy. The wrath that we deserve was appeased of God because it was placed on his son. For Jesus, that word propitiation is really two part. When you're in Christ, not only does that appease God's wrath that we deserve, he also reconciled us to God into a proper relationship. He's the only way. In Jesus, we get the full experience of God's grace and love. And through Jesus, God is still holy and God is still just. Why? Because sin must still be punished. So instead of putting that on you, he put that on his son. I love, how, I love how Paul puts it. In Romans chapter 3, I wish we could go through this entire chapter, 23 through 26, but we're only going to look at verse 26 after he says that, that verse we used earlier, that we're all sinners and separated from God. But because of the work of Jesus, Paul says in verse 26, this was to show God's righteousness at the present time. So God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love that again. With Jesus, God is just. Sin must be punished. So he fulfills that attribute of who he is. And because our sin is now on Jesus, he's also the justifier. That means that day of wrath, when I stand before the living God, he's not going to say of all the times Dave cheated or, or he was stolen or he did this thing or that. No, 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 no. He's going to look upon me and say, not guilty, because he's going to see the righteousness of his son. He will justify me 
Because as Paul says, I have put my faith in Jesus. When someone trusts in Jesus, they are secure in Christ forever. Because in his love, it wasn't about you and I earning our way to him. He sent himself to us by his eternal son, Jesus Christ. Two things, two things as we wrap up. Two applications. And you're in one of these two positions. When we think about this exposition on the wrath of God, I want to talk first to the unbeliever. The unbeliever is those right now, if you joined us online or at our campuses right now here in the South Hills, and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, here's our prayer. May an understanding of God's wrath cause you to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When you understand that God is holy and you are not, like every one of us apart from Christ, and you understand because he's just, he must punish sin, our prayer is that the Holy Spirit causes you to say, God, I know I can't get to you on my own. Trust me, I know I sin every day. Therefore, I'm putting my faith and your son, the one who came to this earth and lived the perfect life and died on the cross for my sin. I'm trusting in Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. God loves you. God loves you. And he expressed that in the greatest manner by sacrificing his son for us. If you're online, we have a, just a, a button you can click to say that I'm making a profession of faith. And, and that just helps us get in contact with you so we can pray with you. So you're not alone as you start this journey with Jesus. We love you. We love you enough to tell the truth. Two destinations. Without Jesus, eternal separation in hell. With Jesus, eternal intimacy with God for eternity. The second group is believers, church believers. May an understanding of God's wrath cause you like you've never done before, revere him with all you got and to follow Jesus with everything you got. As a follower of Jesus Christ, when we reflect and, and think back on the wrath of God, what, what God has saved us from through his son, we should stop every day we wake up and say as Isaiah, who am I? Who am I? Who am I that you have redeemed me, Lord? And think about this, believers. We still have that sin nature, right? The blood of Christ not covered our past sins, present sins. Even when I mess up tomorrow, it's covered by Jesus. Do we, do we approach every day with that posture of thank you? God, if you, if, you, if you never give me that relationship I desire, if you never give me that career I desire, if you never give me into that school I desire, I, it does, I have enough in Jesus. In Jesus, you've given me enough for me to look at you every day and say, you are worthy. God, you are worthy for what you did and what you saved me from through Jesus. As our campuses go off on their own, 
I'm going to invite everyone here in the worship center online to stand. And um, we're going to sing a song together. And it's a song of response. Go ahead. Come on up on your feet. It has some questions thrown at us, such as, is the world broken? And we can say with confidence, it is, right? And it goes through these series of questions, and then it gets to this ending part. And is he worthy? Is God worthy of all our praise? Well, knowing where we would be without Jesus, absolutely. I'm going to ask Rick to do something and... uh, throw a little audible. I've been doing that lately. He's cool with it. He's going to play. I just want to spend like 30, 45 seconds before we sing in a posture of submission to the Lord. Honestly, I want you to spend the next 30 to 45 seconds just thinking back. What if God never called me? What, what, What would my life be if I never trusted in Jesus? It's good sometimes. We don't dwell on the past, but Paul would often look who I was before Jesus. Spend a little time reflecting of of who God redeemed you and who you were before him. And if you're an unbeliever, maybe, maybe this is our first time here, that God would use these next few moments to call you unto himself. He says, I love you. Oh, do I love you. I love you so much. I didn't want to leave you in that state. I sent my son who died on the cross for your sin. So take a next 30 to 45 seconds in that reflection. And then upbeat together. Let's proclaim he is worthy.
everything going on we still proclaim clearly as followers of Jesus Christ God is Lord. let's pray Father we go before you 
when we leave this place as one body. God, we praise you. We praise you of the truth of your word. We thank you that you are crystal clear, that you are holy and we are not. We, that you are crystal clear that because of that separation, as the righteous judge, you impartially judge every person before your throne. And we praise you that through your love, you sent your son Jesus, who died on our behalf. God, I pray that we would, we would rest in Christ this week, that we would be as ambassadors this week, whether it's at home, whether as it's students going back to school and getting ready, whether it's at work, wherever we go, that we would live lives that proclaim you are worthy. And thank you that you called out your church to say, be holy for I am holy. Be set apart in a way that this world sees my son through you. So God, equip us to do so this week and together may we live out this week. You are worthy. We love you and praise you in Christ's name.